Good day, Kirtland Air Force Base. Today we're going to have Sergeant Sierra and Sergeant Johnson from the 58th South Manpower and Director of Personnel Office. They're going to talk to us a little bit about your UMD and UMPMER and how you can help your unit by properly documenting your manning and tracking it so you know what you can advocate for in the future. So we'll get right into it and let Sergeant Johnson start with his Hello everyone, I'm Technical Sergeant Zane Johnson. I work at the 58 SAO Headquarters Building in the Manpower and Organization Office. And I'll be here today to kind of talk over some Manpower 101, uh, more specifically your Unit Manpower Document 101. So briefly, just a quick overview for the Manpower side. I'll give you an idea of the Manpower's role for the wing that you work at. Your organizational structure and organizational changes that can be made brief overview of manpower change requests and the things to pay attention to when you're looking at a change request. And then lastly, we'll get into the key codes that you need to understand on your unit manpower document, as well as your requirements, authorizations, and assigned and what those look like from a manpower perspective. So manpower's role has four key components, four foundations. You have requirements determination. Those are, some people will know them in the maintenance world as like an LCOM. You'll see Air Force manpower standards. We also play a role in competitive sourcing. Uh, that's when units are trying to decide if something needs to be contracted out or if it's better left as a military. We also have program allocation and control. That's where we get into the president's budget, your ceilings and floors for overall in strengths, officer, enlisted, and civilian. We have organizational structure, standing up units, deactivating, redesignating and the overall structure of what that unit group wing squadron will look like and lastly improved performance continuous process improvement those are the role we play in there is we can host and facilitate green belt events black belt events if you have a black belt in the office of course so moving along when you're looking at organizational structure the only thing that i would like to highlight from a manpower perspective is Normally, your squadron structures, your wing structures, your group structures, all the way down to your actual no kidding sections, is typically outlined in Air, F Air Force Instruction 38101. While that is fine, there can be deviations, and those deviations, if necessary, if the mission says, like, hey, this section does not need to be here, this section is better off as something else, work with your manpower office and those are deviations that can be made to your overall normal structure. Now we're gonna kinda, kinda get into the meat of manpower. Uh, you're gonna see a lot of manpower change requests, especially once you get into more leadership positions at the senior NCO level and above. So typically how that works is, it's typically initiated at the unit level. The unit could decide there needs to be an AFSC change, there needs to be an OSC change for one position, two positions, so on and so forth. So you will put together the manpower change request form. If you do not have that form, reach out to your manpower office and they can provide that to you. When you're filling these forms out, make sure you're speaking to the overall manpower side of things and make sure they're not personnel driven. That needs to be no kidding manpower impact and why these changes need to be made. If you're having struggles with that, again, work with your manpower technician and they can help you understand what you need to talk to to necessitate these changes. Once the, once the change request makes it through our office, it will then go to your match comms at the A1M and they will push those requests 
through functional coordination, and the functional managers have the overall right to concur or non-concur. A1M can also concur and non-concur with these changes. Once a determination is made, if it is approved, they will push it through the manpower execution system, and that change will reflect on the UMD, eventually reflecting in mill PDS on the personnel side. And now we'll get into the uh, UMD basics. So your UMD is a detailed manpower listing that reflects your manpower authorizations within your unit. Key word here that we need to touch on is your requirements and authorizations. A requirement is the statement of work that is required for a section, squadron, group wing to conduct their mission, to complete their mission. The authorization is what of those requirements actually gets no kidding funded via the President's budget in the National Defense Authorization Act. So you could have dozens and dozens of requirements, but that does not mean that every requirement is going to get funded. There's only so much money to be distributed across the Air Force. So on the UMD itself, these are going to be some generalized codes to look for because not every unit is going to use the same unit manpower document, but the codes should all reflect pretty much the same. Order might not, but the codes, yes. The first code to pay attention to is your personnel accounting symbol, your pass. It's a four-digit code, and it reflects the unit in which you were in. Another code to pay attention to is your ILC. It should reflect the installation in which you are working at. If it does not, that's something that you need to reach out and figure out why that might not be listed correctly. Also, on your UMDs, to the right, typically, you will see quarterly breakouts for the fiscal year. Typically in four quarters at a time, they will show you what's funded, what's unfunded via ones and zeros. Also, they will have breakdowns of your officers enlisted, your CMEs and civilians in an overall total. The key, key thing to pay attention to here is CMEs. Those are your contract military equivalents. Contract military equivalents may say 100, it may say 5, it may say 200. The most important thing to understand is, is from the military side, there's no real personnel accounting that needs to take place on your end with your contractors. Another thing to know is just because the contract military equivalent says the military would need 200 military authorizations to replace that contract does not mean that the contractor actually has 200 people hired to execute that contract. Moving along, you should notice on a UMD the acronym OSC. It is your office symbol code and that IDs the unit section in which the position is required in there. Also, when you're paying attention to your UMD, there's two different grades that you will see on there. You have what's called a required grade and you have your normal grade. Your required grade is what you, no kidding, earn within that section. Could be a chief, could be an A1C, could be a captain. The grade is what the Air Force is actually able to fund. So just because you earn a chief does not mean you're necessarily going to get a chief. The grade could be funded as a senior, it could be funded as a master sergeant. The same goes on the officer side. You could earn a lieutenant colonel and the grade could only be funded as a major. Next up, you'll see a, you should see an acronym MNT. That's your manpower type code and it IDs the funded and unfunded authorizations. This code can be identified in usually two different ways, depending on the UMD that your unit uses. Sometimes you will see AX, which will represent a funded military authorization, 
and PX for an unfunded military requirement. On other UMDs, sometimes it will simply be labeled with five X's, and that will ID a funded authorization, or you will see an R followed by X's for an unfunded authorization. The other way that you can notice that is if you're looking all the way to the right under those fiscal quarters, you'll see ones and zeros. Ones typically identify a funded authorization, zeros are unfunded. And when you're looking at your section totals or in your overall unit totals, they are only going to count the number of funded authorizations. The accounts do not include your unfunded. Next, you have what's called a functional account code. The only key thing to understand about a functional account code, the FAC, simply identifies a large group like AFSCs that are doing a like job. Next up, you have what's called a program element code, PEC, PEC. This identifies where the funding is coming from. The funding comes from your major force programs. It could be rescue, it could be SOF, special operations, it could be training, it could be nuclear deterrence. All these MFPs are, are shown in the very first number. So if you see an eight, that typically identifies training. If you see a two, typically identifies MFP two, which is typically your uh, ACC, your search and rescue, and so on and so forth. The reason I want to point out the program element codes to you is because if we circle back to change requests, your PEC codes have to be the same between multiple positions if you're making multiple changes. Unless they're individual changes to singular positions, in which case that would be a problem. But if you decided that you wanted to unfund a funded authorization, say that's coming from MFP2, and you wanted to fund up a position that is showing as MFP4, so it would have a 4 as the first digit in the program element code, that cannot happen because you're crossing funding lines. Unless you wanted to go the long-term route, and I mean long-term by multiple years, to submit a program change request all the way up to Headquarters Air Force to have that money moved between the major force programs from, in this case, MFP2 to MFP4. One of the very last things I want to touch on with your UMD and this is going to be dependent on the UMD that your unit uses, but typically the UMDs will have highlights on some positions. When you have these highlights, it is identifying that there is a projected change coming to a position. The best way to see that, other than a highlight, is to pay very close attention to the position numbers on your UMD because those projections will show as a double position number. So you'll have the same position twice, Typically, the position on the bottom will be what the position is currently reflecting as, and the position on top will reflect what the change is becoming. The other way to show that is the ones and zeros to the far right. The bottom, being the original, without the change, will show what it currently is and through the quarter in which it's not changing. That, that above position will have zeros, and then eventually it'll turn to ones, showing that, hey, this position, the third quarter of FY21, 22, so on and so forth, is when this position change becomes effective. That could be a simple code update. That could be a position is going away. That could be you decided to change the position to fund it or unfund it to something else. And from the manpower perspective, how we tie all this in together, and eventually it becomes the personnel side of things, is manpower is responsible for determining your requirements. Let's say your squadron earns 100 requirements to complete your mission set at that particular location. Of those 100 requirements, you will have 90 funded authorizations. Once you have those funded authorizations, that's when you'll start getting people assigned. Now, 
there's some this is where the risk comes involved because you've already had taken a decrement of 10 between the requirements and the authorizations and then you take another slight deck potential slight decrement that so you have 90 funded authorizations but you only end up with 85 personnel assigned at that point you're already taking a loss between the requirements the funded and the assigned but at that point that's where your personnel management side of the house comes in and you use your resources to the best of your ability thank you hello i am technical sergeant luis fernando sierra and we just heard heard Sergeant Johnson go over the UMD, how to read your UMD and UMD basics. One of the questions that I get a lot is where can you find your UMD? I get the, the CSS or the SELs call us. Sergeant Johnson, can you tell us where we can find our UMDs? Yes, so depending on your wing, but keeping it specific to the 58th where we are at, you can find those on the wing SharePoint under the manpower section of the wing staff agency. To the left side, you will find the specific groups, and within the groups, you'll find your squadrons. On the 377 side, the manpower office can always supply UMDs as well. And like I was saying, I'm Sergeant Sierra. I am the director of personnel for the 58th South. I will be talking about the umper. U-P-M-R. Umper. A lot of people pronounce it different. That's how I pronounce it. Unit Personnel uh, Manning doc, uh, Report. And similar to Sergeant Johnson, I'm just going to go over the basics and how to read or how to assign people to those positions that Sergeant Johnson was talking about. Basically, what this report does is a way for the SEL to keep a closer look on where their personnel are assigned to. If they need to build positions, remove positions, that's all part of the UMD and like Sergeant Johnson was talking about, doing the change requests and things like that. So that's what the first part of this was. Now we're going to focus on how to fill these positions basically with the personnel that we do have. Once you your CSS pulls your your report number, you could at the very top of it, it'll it'll show the people who are not assigned to a position. There, there will be the very top uh, of the list, and there will be no positions assigned. If we're looking at the at this report, codes that you need to be, or columns that you need to be looking at is the origin structure ID. It kind of tells you what section that position belongs to within your unit, and that helps you understand where you're gonna put this person. It could be the inbound, or if you're trying to fix your manning dock and clean it up, that's a good start to, sh to see what office or section they work on. And the next column would be the AFSC. So that's the authorized AFSC. That's what should be on that position. That's what the position was built for. And it also tells you the grade authorized, which should be the, the next column over. That's what the position is calling for. Now we're going to get into the questions. The, the main question is, can I put a different AFSC in that position? On the personnel side of the house, the answer is yes. You can assign going off skill level. If it's asking for a seven level, can you put a five level in that position? Yes, the system will allow you to, to make that update. Same thing with rank. If the position's built for a master sergeant, can I put a tech sergeant? Yes. You're just plugging in a person into a existing position. So it'll allow you put it, put a person in that position. This just says that the, that person is working in that section in that position. So 
with that said, the next thing we want to look at is, again, going off that same report, for officers in the cell, it's very important for them to be looking at the API code, but on the report, you will find it as the RPI code. That's what's going to tell you if it's if this position is specifically built for a flyer or a non-flyer. So there's many codes out there, and we'll we'll make it available for you guys to find these codes, probably in our, our SharePoint as well. And you can see where you can see which position has this code that it, it's either going to say must fly or non-flyer, and so on. So there's a lot of codes. And again, the column that you're looking at is the RPI code. That's what's going to tell you. So a lot of flyers, PCA, and it's important when you PCA somebody that you plug them in to a position that is a flying position because that's going to affect their pay, their flying pay and all that. If you PCA them to a position that does not have a flying pay, then there, there will be issues later on for that person. Another popular question is can you double bill it so double billeting happens the reasons or the ideal reason this should happen is for people with a projected assignment if sergeant johnson has a projected assignment and i pca into the unit or pcs into the unit and you only have two man or one manpower position then i will be double bill it with that manpower position and that is okay. Separation, same thing. If I'm projected to separate and we PCA somebody to fill my position, then again, it will be double billed. It, it, it is okay. Retirement is the all, all other reason. Sometimes you have one position and two personalists, right? Or two people and you only have one position. And at that point, you were double billed if you can't find another position for that person to fill. And that's okay. That's basically just saying that you're overmanned, right? So that's why you be double billet. Once you double billet somebody, when you pull this report, make sure you look at the position number column. If it's double billet, that position number will repeat itself. And that's how you know you have a double billet. Doesn't mean that you have two positions for a master sergeant, three of five, or, or a 3D. It just means that you put two names into one position and how the document does it, it just repeats that line with two names. I have a question about yes. double billeting. Um, would you rather see a mismatch in rank versus double billeting or? Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, like I, if you had two master sergeants and you had a master and a tech billet, would you rather plug the master into the tech billet or double book the master billet? So. In my personal experience, what I've seen is you put them in the other position because all it's saying is you have two positions for, let's say, a personnelist, right? Mm -hmm. You have a master sergeant personnelist and a tech sergeant personnelist. And you have, those are the positions, but you have two master sergeants. Well, mm -hmm. One's gonna fill the master and the other one's gonna fill the tech because okay. your unit is requesting from the Air Force two people and you have the two people, so now you just fit them in. Gotcha. So it doesn't affect anything else other than just showing that you're manned. Correct. And nothing affects the EPR on that end? No. Okay. When it comes to to writing the evaluation that they're going to go off the duty title so they might have 
have to work who's going to be the section superintendent or who's right. going to be the NCIC or just work on the duty titles but that's what's shown on the actual Air Force form 911 or 910 right so right okay great yeah that's a question that's asked a lot from what I've seen no it won't yeah uh, just giving you some information on the manpower side of why that may happen where you have a section that say it's just too deep it's a tech and a master the reason why you may end up with two masters other than say the tech made master while they were assigned to that unit mm -hmm. is because on the manpower side tech sergeants and master sergeants are simply viewed as a seven level mm -hmm. so sometimes the Air Force is simply going to send you two masters because at the end of the day they're both seven levels Right. Okay. And, and you will see that on the report on the authorized AFSC mm -hmm. it will be seven level for tech sergeants and level for masters so thank you that does explain it a lot but yes on our in our office, we rather see you plug in the master into a tech position than not into a position. I think it's it'll be easier for whoever the SEL is, the chief that's supposed to be maintaining this document, for him to have a better structure than having them floating out there or double billet. Because what that's going to cost is instead of having two lines, you're going to have three lines now, mm -hmm. and one's going to be blank. So just it's better for managing purposes, and that's what the document is for. It's just to see who's where, and and how how this unit structure is. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. So I think we covered the the reasons why you should double bill it, or I guess ideally the reasons, and sometimes you just have to if you have one position for that AFSC, and that's where you're going to plug them in. Now another question is mismatch AFSCs. I'll just take myself for, for example if my unit only has a 3F5 position and I'm a 3FO can they plug me in through a, a 3F5 position? They can but again that's not what that position was built for so can I slide into that position and, and do the, the work the job probably but eventually they'll they will PCS somebody with that AFSE and then you'll have that double billet. And so that's why you would want to match the AFSEs accordingly. When you don't have the position, then your options is to plug in what you have or get with manpower and build a position for that AFSE. And they have a long process to, to do that, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. and, and ideally that's what you want to do. You want to build the positions for your needs, for your unit needs. A lot of times we have people when they're working out of hide, I think that's mm -hmm. what they like to call it, where I'm going to be part of AMXS, but I'm going to be up at the wing working day to day, and that they like to call that out of hide. Now, the Air Force obviously does not have an AFI where it covers out of hide. That is a just local driven, yeah, local -driven move. and. That, and that's up to the unit commanders. That's a deal that they made. So those you would not see on your document because to see them on your document, they need to be PCA'd over to your unit. So you will not see any personnel that, you, that are working in your unit that are out of hide, how they like to call it. That's when you look at your document. And if you have a position for that person that's out of hide, why not PCA? That would be the best scenario is to PCA that member. Number one, it would give them 
bit of career progression, right? Switching units, PCA and them over. And if you have the position, then that's what the position was built for, for a member that's doing the job and it's part of your unit. There's no reason to have them out of hide. Mm -hmm. And you can do that with a mismatch AFSC, right? Like, Correct. So. That's where a lot of times we see the mismatch AFSC. Let's say we have a personnel position but we don't have a personnelist in our unit. And that happens a lot to the, to some units. The personnelist that was there separated, retired, PCS, and you don't have a personnelist, but another unit has a FSC that used to be, you know, a personnelist or has a lot of knowledge doing personnel work and they wanna put them in that position, they can, they can plug them in. And for the time being, until they get a, a true personnelist in there, then the person can fill it. But again, that, that would be up to the commander to, to do the mismatch AFSCs. Other questions that we hear is, well, I was going over the information that you need to look at when assigning a person to your to your document and authorized AFSC, origin structure ID column, the authorized grade. The SEI, I don't think a lot of people look at that column, but it's also important. Sometimes the positions require different training and that's where you would find that. And like I said, for flyers, the RPI code. So for the personnel side of the house, oh, another question that we get is, who is responsible for updating this document, the UMPR? Mm -hmm. So the person responsible for this document to be is the SEL, right? The senior enlisted leader, the chief, for that unit. Mm -hmm. They are responsible of maintaining this document. Can they delegate it? Mm -hmm. Yes, they can delegate it to their sections to make sure their master sergeants plug in the people. Then they give the document to the personnel list who has access to the system, which is MILPDS, to make these actions happen. Some units have an Excel spreadsheet that is easier to read than than what the document what the system pushes out and those are great. I, I like those Excel spreadsheets that people create, but just by you create updating that Excel spreadsheet is not gonna update the system. So you can use that spreadsheet day to day, but send that information to, to your CSS. That way your Excel spreadsheet can be matching what's out there. And I think that's some of the issues I've seen in the 58 style with some units is they they are tracking the moves in their spreadsheet but they don't relay the information to the CSS and when we print out the umper you have all these mismatches and so make sure that if you if you have one of those spreadsheets which I I like they are easier to read that even we, we added color to them right it, you put plug in a name or if the double the position is doubled automatically it's red so it tells you what you have doubled mm -hmm. make sure you send that information to your CSS so they can make the updates in the system and everybody's tracking the same same information now it's not the CSS responsibility to keep up with this document the CSS makes the the update in the system going off the direction of the chief SEL or the flight chief gotcha okay that's helpful um, I had one more question or or just a verification. So if you have someone plugged into a mismatched AFSC on your umper, I, I want to make sure that they know it's not going to 
take away that matting for that actual AFSC that's required because they're going to scrub the AFSC per base um, and what you're manned for and not just look at your umper and say, oh, you have that block filled, you don't need it anymore. Correct. Right? I think when it comes to assignments, they look at a different portion or actually the that's where the UMD comes in because that's mm -hmm. positions. This one, the, the umper is more for the unit. This is mm -hmm. a unit report. Yeah. So that way you can keep track of your people, where they're at, the structure, all that. So when it comes from for assignments, they're looking at a different thing. When either A1 at the Matchcom or APC is, is looking to give out assignments or assign people to a new duty location, mm -hmm. they're not gonna be looking at, at a very specific unit's bumper. Right. That's for more local use. Gotcha. That's the way I understand it. Right, yeah, I just wanted to clarify, because I know that can get confusing if they're looking at the faces or spaces. and they That's a great way to put it. So this one's more for the faces. Mm -hmm. So this tells you who is where. Who, who are you going to plug in in what position? Who into the what, right? The UMD will show you the what. Mm -hmm. And so that one's going to show you how many you have authorized, how many are filled to that, and that's what they're going to be looking at. Gotcha. So for this one, it's just plugging in the name into position so that you know where your people are are at, basically. Mm -hmm. Like a real live living document. Correct. So, gotcha. And then when they move, then you can move the, the person to the position, which is rarely done. <laughs> with a PCSN, they put them into a position. They can go like in maintenance squadron. They, they have different sections within a flight, right? right. And the, the member switches from section to section, but they never move them from positions. It's just because they're in the same flight, they, they, they feel that they don't have to update this document, but it would be really helpful if the position is there. But okay. it won't affect the members PCSing or, or the unit getting the people they need. This, uh, this shouldn't affect that portion. Okay. Well, I appreciate you guys coming out and sharing your wealth of knowledge and um, making it easier to apply to a, you know, for a flight chief, section chief to actually help with their unit manning and um, understand it a lot better than just, you know, hearing it from a SME level or office that doesn't deal with in the weeds unit manning. So I appreciate your guys' input.